Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Thank you, Finn. Well, I'm going to ask you to uh, indulge me a little bit this morning. I... uh, a few weeks ago, I, I think most of you know this, I haven't really talked about it, and, uh, but a few weeks ago my mom was in a traffic accident and, uh, and subsequently about a week later passed away. And, and so it just so happens that uh, the week uh, that she passed away, she passed away on a Monday morning, the week that uh, she passed away, I was working on a eulogy for her service, which kind of came at the end of that week, but I was also writing this particular sermon. And so uh, I haven't resisted talking about it. I just haven't really felt like it was uh, time yet or any of that stuff. So uh, maybe this morning you just give me a a chance to think about that a little bit uh, in the context of this sermon as we talk about the freedom to trust. And so uh, as you think about that, as you kind of think about where you are in your journey of trust, and what that might look like. I've just been thinking about this. A trustworthy God inspires trustworthy people. And trustworthy people inspire trustworthy families, and trustworthy families inspire trustworthy communities, and trustworthy communities inspire trustworthy cultures. We could go on and on. But what do you trust? How much do you feel that your body, your spirit, your heart, your mind can take a deep breath and, and find that you really do trust some things? And we've worshipped around it this morning. The worship teams led us beautifully in this idea that we are able to, to rest in you, to trust in God, to, to, to really sense that it's going to be okay and I'm going to be okay. And I'm guessing if you're anything like me, that, that even though you believe that in some part of your brain, it's having a hard time getting into the places where you feel and in the places where you think. And so we're worshiping around that and thinking about it. And, and if I was just going to say of all the things that I really would like in my life, I would like to have perfect peace. And the scripture talks about this. It's way at the top of my list. I mean, I, I, peace is a, it's a, it's a, commodity that most of us would really treasure. We'd love to have more of it. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. So what stands out to you when you hear those words? I mean, I think we rush over them. He'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. We know that, yada, 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 but my mind doesn't fix on him. But the verse doesn't end there because they trust in him. Our minds get fixed on him because we trust in him. And then the very next verse, then so trust in the Lord. Go ahead and trust in him. Go ahead and let that go. Go ahead and risk that accountability. Go ahead and risk that understanding. Go ahead and let that influence the way we think and the way we feel. It seems that more and more people are coming to see this vital but subtle element that brings us the basis for peace. Stephen Covey recently wrote a book about it. Let let me read to you an excerpt of that book. 
There is one thing that is common to every individual, relationship, team, family, organization, nation, economy, and civilization throughout the world. One thing which, if removed, will destroy the most powerful government, the most successful business, the most thriving economy, the most influential leadership, the greatest friendships, the strongest character, the deepest love. On the other hand, if developed and leveraged, that one thing has the potential to create unparalleled success and prosperity in every dimension of life. Yet it is the least understood and most neglected and most underestimated possibility of our time. That one thing is trust. That one thing is trust. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not really thought about that. It's never occurred to me. I've thought about a lot of other things that might be fundamental to my peace of mind. I've thought about a lot of other things that might be fundamental to the functioning of our culture and our world. But I would not have named trust as that one thing. And it turns out people have been thinking about this concept for a long time. Albert Einstein uh, said these words, Every kind of peaceful cooperation among humans is primarily based on mutual trust and only secondarily on institutions such as courts of justice and police. I, I, I don't know, you know what year that was spoken, but obviously decades and decades ago, that trust becomes such a fundamental factor and when we think about our culture and our world and we think about how we function, again, I just want to keep bringing this back. A trustworthy God leads to trustworthy people who lead to trustworthy families. And I wonder sometimes, are we trustworthy? I mean, do we trust God in a way that it inspires us to be trustworthy people? That people who are not like us could find us trustworthy, safe. People who, because of our confidence in God and the way He works in the world, have a sense of peace about us because our minds are fixed on Him because we trust in Him. Trustworthy people. Again, Stephen Covey writes these words, Low trust causes friction, whether it's caused by unethical behavior are by ethical but incompetent behavior. So I, I want to pause in the middle of that, and I just want to say this. What I want to think about as we begin to celebrate around some of Isaiah's writings in a few minutes, I, I want us to think about this, that inside of this issue of trust, there are two things that really matter, consistency and competence. That we can find some situations unworthy because people are inconsistent. And generally, we associate inconsistency with unethical behavior. And so trust and consistency become paired up. But it's not just about consistency. It's also about competence. It's about doing the right things. It's about doing it well. That we can do everything ethically but still be untrustworthy because we're incompetent. And so those things matter. And I want to get those in our brains here at the beginning by unethical behavior, or by ethical but incompetent behavior, because even good intentions can never take the place of bad judgment. Low trust is the greatest cost in life and in organization, including families. Low trust creates hidden agendas, politics, interpersonal conflict, interdepartmental rivalries, win-lose thinking, 
defensive and protective communication, all of which reduce the speed of life and the speed of trust. Low trust slows everything, every decision, every communication, and every relationship. And it seems to me that if we stopped right there and we just said, man, here's the truth. We see that happening in our culture at every layer. No wonder we're exhausted and no wonder we're tired because of all the things you could talk about in our culture. Trust is one of the things that is most lost. It's just hardly existent at any level of our culture and of our world. And what concerns me about that is that attitude, that's happening in our broad culture, but we're bringing it into the life of the church. And a lot of us are learning to be so untrusting that even when we begin to talk about the power of God manifest in us, we do not live in any way in our inner world, not in our emotions or our thoughts, that would reflect a kind of trust in this all-powerful and all-knowing God. It's beginning to corrupt away from us this sense of peace because we no longer sit in that space where we could say out loud, even if the mountains are cast into the sea, I'm going to be okay because God is in control. If the whole world falls apart, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. It matters. Covey goes on to call us into this space. Listen to what he writes. First wave is self-trust. Self-trust deals with the confidence we have in ourselves, in our ability to set and achieve goals, to keep commitments, to be in a space where... My pages have stuck together. (laughs) To be in a space where we keep our commitments... Maybe the page just got lost. Maybe it just never existed. Well, doesn't matter. To put us into a space where, <laughs> well, now i got to find it. Just take a break. Go get a drink of water. Do something. I don't know. Page five is gone. It's just gone. All right. First wave, self-trust. Did you remember when we were talking a minute ago about competence? This would be an example of something besides competence. <laughs> so, let's think about this together. I, uh, this is where I want you to indulge me for a minute. So when I begin to think about this issue of consistency and competence, it's when I really start to think about my mom. And so when I was writing this sermon and I was, you know, sort of struggling in some of these concepts that are kind of fresh and new to me, uh, to think about how trust works and to think about this piece that has some ethical and consistent pieces, and then on the other hand, uh, it has some uh, of these pieces that involve competence, it really threw me right back into this space with my mom. As I think about it and reflect on it, my mom has been such a trustworthy source in my life for as long as I can remember. In fact, I consider it to just stand here and say this out loud, I cannot think of a time in my life where I did not consider my mom to be a completely trustworthy person, a completely trustworthy source of of guidance, of life, of love, of support, of energy, all that stuff. And somewhere along the way, my, my mom decided that the little things in life mattered a lot. 
And I'm sure my mom had all kinds of ambitions. I'm sure, you know, she, she wanted to be successful and accomplish big things. And she wanted uh, me to grow up and my sister to grow up and accomplish big things and do something. But, but somewhere in the midst of maybe that desire, it's not really how she lived. She didn't live for the big things. She lived for the little things. And so she, she had a very unique kind of personality. And so when I think about her, I, I think a lot about that passage of Scripture that says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's the song. But the Scripture is, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. And, and my mom did that. And she did that in a variety of ways. She was the person who always showed up. Part of her consistency was that if something was happening, if it was a birthday, a graduation, a wedding, a, a holiday, she was going to show up. That was her favorite thing, was to show up. She liked to go. She always liked to be going. She hated to stay in one space. She wanted to go to this, and she wanted to go to that, and she wanted to be present at that, and she wanted to get on an airplane, and she wanted to be in all of those spaces all the time. And she was cheerful. She was funny. She liked to, she liked to tease, and she liked to to laugh, and she liked to be teased, and some of you that met her, you, you immediately stepped into that space with her because that was her personality, and she showed up. She did the little things well. She was a person that, that celebrated holidays in this big way. She always was thinking about how to do that, that surprise, how to, how to do something unexpected, how to do something that would kind of catch everybody off guard. And, and honestly, so many times it caught us off guard, but not because we wanted what we were given. We would sometimes look at things and think, how, how would she have thought I needed this or wanted this? But she was always trying to push the edge of that envelope, always trying to come up with something that was unique and clever and that we had never thought of. And sometimes uh, she should never have thought of it. I blame the fact that I am a recreational eater on my mom because around those holidays and birthdays, in fact, every family dinner was, was a spread. We, we ate dinner together as a family every single night, and, and there was just an abundance of food on the table. My mom never wasted food. Food was a precious commodity to her. It meant something. Leftovers were never thrown away. They were always eaten. I've always said, it was my mom's superpower. She could eat food that was weeks and weeks old. And she did and never got sick. It was just one of her things. Because of that, holidays had special food. My mom loved nothing better than to create a holiday where there was a buffet, where she could make lots and lots of things and you could sample many, many things. And I think when you start to think about what that looks like and what that means, I think about that quote from Mother Teresa, none of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. And the reality is, I, I don't think my mom knew that quote. I don't think it mattered to her, but she lived that way. And that created a sort of trust between us that really is the thing I will miss most. The consistency and the competence of her presence in my life, I could depend on her. Now, sometimes she took my part and took my side and supported me and believed in me when probably I deserved a whack on the head a lot more than I deserved a hug. 
but she consistently loved me and she found ways to speak to me about the things that she thought ought to change in me. Never once did I feel threatened. Never once did I feel criticized. Never once did I feel unloved or pushed out of that circle. And now that she's gone, I, I realize what a, an incredibly precious gift that is. And I just believe that my mom lived a very simple faith. In fact, I would say that my mom lived in what theologians call the first naivete of faith. She just believed in God, and she just believed that God loved her. And she just believed that God was going to work it out. And she believed that in those last days when we talked about her dying, when she knew and helped make the decision that it was probably time to go and the quality of life would deteriorate from here, and, and she couldn't handle the thought of not going. She couldn't handle the thought of not showing up. And even in the, in the middle of those decisions and those conversations, when you're, when you're working through all of that, she just trusted God. And she would say, I can't believe it's my time, but I'm really looking forward to what's next. I'm really anxious to see. And I think a trustworthy God inspires trustworthy people. And we have become sophisticated beyond wisdom. So that it is so hard for us to live in this simple trusting faith so that we might be those people who then go out and live in this ethical consistency but in competency too. Not only seeing that we behave ourselves but that we develop a world that's confident, that's competent in all the ways that it works. And I don't understand why everything has to be so controversial. Don't we desire for everyone fairness and justice? And don't we desire for everyone that they're treated well in this culture, in this world? When did we decide to take sides? And I don't mean just the church and us, I mean the world, the culture. How is this healthy? How is it okay? So my question this morning as we kind of gathered in this space is just to ask you this. What, in what way are you a trustworthy person? Are there people in your world and in your life that, that can depend on you because you're consistent and that doesn't mean you're consistently bad. It doesn't mean you're consistently angry. It doesn't mean you're consistently critical. It doesn't mean you're cons consistently slandering. It doesn't mean you're consistently judgmental. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Are we consistent in those things? And then are we competent? Not just that we're pontificating, but we're actually competent. We actually accomplish something in the world. We're actually moving the ball forward because it matters. Because it matters. Isaiah backs us up a little. Before you and I can go out into the world and live these lives of trust, we have to be set free. We have to be set free from the bondage of lacking trust. I need to be set free from the bondage of lacking trust. 
I think all of us who are listening together and who will listen in the course of the days ahead need to be set free from the bondage of lacking trust. We need to feel secure. We need to feel certain. We need to feel safe. We need to be committed to a faith that we believe strongly enough to follow day after day, week after week. So Isaiah to a group of people who have been devastated by life circumstances is reminding them that no matter what is happening to you, no matter what is happening around you, no matter what is happening in the world, no matter, matter how torn apart your world has become or your culture has become or your nation has become, God is still worthy of your trust in the middle of all of that. Though some circumstances have been impossible to explain and even more difficult to live through, there comes a time when you move from hardships to a season of comfort and getting our hearts mended and being filled with trust. And so Isaiah writes, chapter 41, verse 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Though you wage, though they wage, those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Now, when we are attempted to allow our attitudes and behaviors to sink into fear and anger and retaliation, we're invited to live trustworthy lives. I want to say it again. A trustworthy God inspires trustworthy people who inspire trustworthy families who build trustworthy communities, trustworthy churches. Then we have trustworthy cultures. It starts at this very fundamental place. Where are you in that process? We celebrate God's consistency. And we celebrate God's competence. Those are the, the bedrock of trust and what they mean. And so we think about what that looks like. When I think about what Isaiah writes to us, I, I see five things that set us free. Five things that he says in the context of these words that say, Here's the thing that you need to focus on when you're struggling with trust. Here's how you go from where you are in exile and brokenness and the narrative torn apart into a place of restoration and coming home and being restored, redeemed. Number one, if we're going to restore trust, we have to trust that we are not alone. We have to trust that we are not alone. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Because I am your God. When I'm tempted to let the light fade or to give up my consistency or to stop working on my competence, I'm reminded to think again and again and again, I am not alone. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. How often in your own journey does your disposition deteriorate because you feel abandoned are vulnerable, are alone? How often does your consistency and competence fall apart 
because you feel like that you are facing the challenges and issues of life without any guidance and without any help and without any support. The issue of feeling alone, feeling like you're on your own, causes us to feel like, I, 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 just, I just can't do it. I just can't, I just can't care enough or I don't have the energy for it. So Isaiah says, before we, we work on anything else, you've got to keep saying this over and over. You've got to keep worshiping at this spot. You've got to keep kneeling and, and praying and seeking and filling your mind in a culture that tends to rob us. You've got to say it over and over. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not in this by myself. I'm not alone. Because it matters. It matters that we are freed to trust because of this truth that we're not, a, not alone. How long has it been since you felt that you could take a deep breath and really rest in this place of trust? I want you to do that this morning. I want you in all the craziness of the world and the culture and the politics and the, the stuff that's going on around us, the pandemic, the theories, the conspiracies. Man, how did we get here? The world's not dictated by all these systems. This is my Father's world. And you and I are not alone. We are not alone. And that sets us free to break out of all of that other stuff and live in a place of trust. Number two, not only are we to trust that we're not alone, we're to trust that God is a source of strength. God is a source of strength. So do not fear, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Not only are you not alone, but you are promised strength. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to see that I am living on the edge of my strength, that that's a mindset. So when somebody says, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. I'm, you know, I'm getting by. I'm not sure. And, I, and I don't, it's not that I don't, I don't necessarily trust people that when I say, how are you doing? They say, oh, I'm fantastic. Everything's wonderful. I just don't think they're telling the truth. But maybe sometimes we begin to dwell in this place where we're always at the end. We're always exhausted. We're always inadequate. Life's always overwhelming. Somehow in that, there is a loss. That when we feel that way, when we're living at the edge of the strength, what goes away? Our consistency and our competence. When I feel alone and vulnerable, my competence and consistency goes away. And when I feel that I lack strength, when I feel I'm at the end, when I feel I'm drained out, when I feel I don't have another, enough resource, uh, my consistency and my competency. And, and listen, we do this all the time. Somebody walks up to us and says something and we snap and we're rude. And they say, what's wrong with you? I'm just tired. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just worn out. Hey, that's not an excuse. <laughs> This is real life. These moments strung together make up a lifetime. They create memories. They create moments that either build or tear down. And they matter. Every single one of them matters. We don't have like dozens and dozens of them to throw away. Like these don't matter because I was tired. I was tired, so these don't matter. They do matter. And so we turn ourselves into this place that, that we, we come back into a place where we understand that I am not adequate, but God has promised to not only not leave me alone, but to give me strength, and I need that. Number three, Isaiah highlights this. You're going to be upheld by what's right. 
upheld by what's right. So do not fear, I'm with you, don't be dismayed, I'm your God, I will strengthen you and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the righteous right hand is not a bunch of religious language. It just means this, I'm going to help you find the right in the midst of the crazy. I'm not just going to be with you, and I'm not just going to strengthen you, I'm going to navigate you to righteousness. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Right now, in the middle of this world, in the middle of this culture, what is the right thing to do? I don't know about you, but I I am stepping very carefully every single day because life has become a minefield. Standing up and talking week to week, and I'll be honest with you, some people have been displeased with how we have navigated through this last year. Some people have left this church because they need to go find someone who is doing it differently than we are doing it here. That's a shame. That's a shame that in the middle of a worldwide crisis that we make choices like that. But as we gather in this place, I'll be honest with you, I I don't know exactly how to navigate it. I don't know what to do tomorrow. I only know one thing. I only know that, that I need to figure out where I put my trust. I need to figure out what it is that makes sense and what it is. And, and here's the thing. I don't think that's going to come from the news. I, I don't think it's going to come from the culture. I don't think it's going to come from the politics. I don't think it's going to come from the right or the left. I think the only place that I can think and and believe that there is any kind of right thing, righteousness, is going to come from God. And i got to keep coming back here. And I can fall out of that on a conservative side, and I can fall out of that on a liberal side, but that's not what life is about. Life is about one thing, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His rightness. So I'm not just... It's not just that this trust thing is because I'm not alone. This trust thing is also because he gives me strength, but it's also because of this. He will lead me by his righteous right hand. He will guide me through the abyss of human conduct, the abyss of human issues by his righteousness. And when my trust begins to fail that there is a right thing, that there is a right way, listen, my consistency and my competence falls apart. And so when I have to come back into this space where I simply say, God, I not only believe that you're with me, and I not only believe you're strengthening me, I believe you are guiding me with your righteous right hand. And I believe it's the only place that will pull together the things that are broken inside of me, but broken in this world, broken in our systems, broken in our relationships with one another. He'll hold us with our right. We're free to trust because we're liberated by His righteous right hand. Number four, we need to trust that we are given endurance. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you'll not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing. Isaiah says, there will come a time when you will overcome. Don't quit. Endure. Hang on. Persevere. The things that stand in the way will go away. 
the people that you think are making everything impossible will move on. And so will you. There is another season coming. We are free to trust because God is providing the care that will see us through to the next season, the next chapter, the next place of peace. So that you and I can, can say, and here's the thing, you know, when, when we believe we're just about out of strength, when we believe that we don't know what to do next, our consistency and our competence fails, when we see people around us who are hurting us, who are, who are not acting in trustworthy ways, listen, it affects our consistency. It affects our competence. And so Isaiah says, listen, hang on. Hang on. You're going to get through it. Don't give up. The things that oppose you, the people that oppose you, this season will pass. Those people will move on. And so will you. We need trust. We need to feel peace. We need the power of trust. It's fundamental to who we are. It's fundamental to how we are made. And it matters. Finally, Isaiah says we're to trust in God's active support. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. So finally, Isaiah says, Hey, listen, I, I, I want you to understand this. I am not idle. I am actively stepping into your space and taking hold of it. Listen to the language that he uses. I will take hold of your right hand. I'm going to get beside you, and I'm going to hang on to you, and I'm going to see you through this. And you're not going to have to be looking for me and searching and figuring all of that. I'm going to actively step into your space. I want you to trust me because you're not alone, and I want you to trust me because I'm going to give you strength. And I want you to trust me because I'm going to guide you in a righteous path. And I want you to trust me because I'm going to help you endure. You're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. And I want you to trust me because the reality is I am actively taking hold of your hand and guiding you through it. And so my question to you this morning then becomes this very simple one, and that is this. Do you find your place, yourself in a place of trust? Do you find yourself in a place of consistency? Do you find yourself in a place of competence? Because it matters. We all want to do big stuff. We all want to accomplish something great. We all want to matter. We want to be significant. We want to have an impact. But somewhere along the way, Maybe we've forgotten that as we campaign and we, we support these militant movements, we push one another back and forth, we've begun to use the church as if it's, if it's some kind of platform in which we preach anything other than the Word of God. And that we're invited into this space in which because we have a trustworthy God, we're supposed to be trustworthy people. To whom are you trustworthy? Is it a select few people? Is it only people who think and act like you? Who share the same perspective? Or are you trustworthy beyond that? Into people that are not at all like you? So when Jesus says, go and be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and into the ends of the world. Listen, Jerusalem is home where we all look alike. 
Judea is a little different. It's the outer area. Samaria, people aren't at all. They, they defiantly believe something different than we do. And then the uttermost parts of the world, it's, are you trustworthy only in Jerusalem? Can you be trustworthy in Judea? Can you be trustworthy in Samaria? Can you be trustworthy to the ends of the earth? It's a big call. And we're set free to be trustworthy because we have a trustworthy God. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to sing that song again, though the mountains be cast into the sea. And we're going to worship and respond around those words. I'm going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. And I, I just want us to have an opportunity to bow our heads and to repent. And to ask God to do some work in each one of us. God, would you help us? We need you. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your word. We, we need you to step into our space. We confess that this issue of trust is hard for us. We've become people who are almost void of trust. We don't trust leadership. We don't trust the news. We don't trust politics. We don't trust statistics. We don't trust studies. We don't trust surveys. We don't trust health care. We don't trust each other. And maybe the crisis of trust in our world and in our culture is because we don't really trust ourselves very much. Would you remind us that consistency and competence are the bedrock of trust? And that we put our trust in you because you are always the same, yesterday and today and forever. And you are always competent. You don't leave things undone or untended. Sometimes it takes time. The children of Israel suffered a long time. They walked in the wilderness a long time. They lived in exile a long, long time. We can see it written large in the narrative. Remind us that it's being written in the underscore of our own lives and our own circumstances and our own culture and our own world. It's going to be okay. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Would you hear our prayers as we sing and resonate and proclaim this truth? And we give you thanks for being a God who is worthy of our trust. May we reflect that in our world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.